All right. Well, open your Bibles, please, to the letter of Colossians. The letter of Colossians. And this morning I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How do you know what God wants you to do? And not just uh, in a general way, but in a, in a very specific way. So um, how do you know what God wants you to do after church today? As soon as the, as soon as the uh, sermon is over. Um, how do you know who God wants you to talk to after the sermon is over? What you should do, what you should say to them, how you should talk to them, where you should go, uh, what you should do. What's your answer to that? How would you know? How would you know that? Well, your answer might be something along these lines. Well, if only I had more commands, then I would know exactly what to do as soon as the service is over. But I don't. The Bible doesn't tell me that specifically what I should do. It gives me some general commands, but it doesn't tell me that uh, specifically. The Colossians church would have answered along those lines. They needed more commands to know exactly what they uh, should do. They needed more laws. And so eventually they supplied them <laughs> some man-made laws. And Paul mentions them later in this letter. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. And they started implementing more laws so they'd know exactly what to do in different uh, situations. But they found, as Paul said, that those have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In fact, they found that the more laws and uh, commands that they added, uh, not only were those useless against uh, the indulgence of the flesh, but they made the rest of God's laws, the real laws of God, also useless husks with no life uh, in them. And that's because by one seemingly good man-made idea after another, the Colossians were in the process, and this was the danger that Paul was addressing in this letter, they were in the process of slowly but surely removing Christ from the center of the Christian life, where he should be. In fact, he's everything in the Christian life. They were in the process of removing Christ from the center to the periphery. And in so doing, changing the whole shape of the entire Christian life. And so Paul addresses that in uh, this letter, and we're not uh, to the main part of the letter, we're just in the prayer. Paul, at the beginning of uh, the letters, he would tell those that he was writing to how he was uh, praying uh, for them, and that's what he does in this paragraph that I just read this morning. He tells them uh, what his prayer is uh, for them. On the one hand, it's a general prayer, it's uh, helpful and fitting for any Christian at any time. It's helpful for you now. This is a great prayer to pray for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you along the lines of this prayer that Paul prayed 
uh, for the Colossians. But on the other hand, it's a breakthrough prayer, meaning it's designed to break through their false doctrine, which was threatening specifically the church in uh, in uh, Colossae. And what is it a prayer for? It's a prayer that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they might walk in a manner worthy of uh, the Lord. So it's a prayer for knowing what to do, being filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom, and for doing it, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, or as I, I said last time, matching the Lord, walking in a manner that corresponds to the Lord, that's suitable to the Lord, that's fitting to the Lord, and especially in the Lord's most characteristic act, which was his act of salvation, his act of going to uh, the cross. So Paul prays that they would have discernment to be filled with God's will in implementing and carrying out a life that's characterized by the same character as the Lord in his act of salvation. That is a life characterized by giving to those who are not worthy of what you're giving to them. I don't know what the Lord would have you to do as soon as the sermon is over or on Tuesday of this week or uh, um, what the Lord would have you to do at a specific uh, moment. But it will be a, a, a way of working out love for those not worthy of what you're giving them. It'll be a way that, in other words, that matches the Lord, that matches the Lord. And that's what Paul prays they would have insight into and also uh, be able to uh, uh, give that uh, to others uh, as well. You'll notice that Paul prays that they be filled with the knowledge of this, filled with knowledge um, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that is wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives. He prays that they would do this, be filled with that knowledge as they walk, so that you will walk, that's verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of uh, the Lord. In other words, the kind of knowledge that he's praying that they'd be filled with and have is not a knowledge of knowing everything in advance, knowing what to do in advance, knowing what to do, not just the next step, but six steps down uh, the road. No, he's he prays that the Holy Spirit would show them what he would have them to do in a life that matches the same character as, as the Lord uh, in salvation as they walk step by step. That's not the way we like to make decisions. We like to make decisions uh, for five steps down the road. Uh, we like to make decisions that are one size fits all. That's why we like those extra rules like the Colossians uh, did. We like to make decisions that are uncomplicated, that we don't have to uh, puzzle over, that are the same uh, for everyone, that you can know well in advance what you're going to do. And when you get past that situation, you can write a book on it and give it to other people who uh, find themselves in a similar situation because it's a one size uh, fits all. We like that kind of knowledge of God's will because we like to be in control. We like to be in control. And actually, other religions are about empowering you to be in control in that way with a little bit of spiritual uh, technology. The religion of Christianity, the true religion uh, of the gospel, empowers you to know that you're not in control, but empowers you to know that your father is in control and that your father loves you. And that's what helps you to understand what to do, not nine steps down the road, but empowers you to have wisdom and spiritual insight for the present 
what's right in front of you. And that's what Paul prays. They would have uh, wisdom and insight actually be filled with. Uh, he's an especially enthusiastic way of uh, putting it. Be filled with, he says, in um, uh, verse 9, the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding as you walk in the step-by-step uh, process. The uh, Jewish teaching of Paul's day would answer that the knowledge of God's will, how do you know what God wants you to do, comes through the totality of knowing God's laws, comes through the totality of knowing God's uh, commandments. In fact, Paul sort of identifies that way of thinking and criticizes it in Romans chapter 2, verse uh, 17. Let me read a little bit from this uh, passage. It says, But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will, and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge of the truth. And he's talking to a Jewish person who thinks that God's will is contained completely in uh, the law. And there's probably some level of sarcasm in what Paul is saying as he sort of lays this on uh, thick. You think you know God's will because you know the commandments of uh, the law. And then he goes on to say, it doesn't do you any good. You teach others, you, you're an expert uh, for others through knowing all of uh, God's commands, but you don't follow it yourself. He contrasts that with, uh, in the same uh, passage with one who is not a Jew outwardly, nor circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he who is a, a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is, is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And so the spirit is teaching uh, this person what uh, the will of God is. And he contrasts it even uh, further with this inward transformation that's worked in Christ later in uh, Romans. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and uh, perfect. Paul uh, uh, says, you know, the will of God, Paul says, um, without rejecting the commandments of God, Paul says there's actually a more central and a more comprehensive way of knowing God's will. It agrees with all of his commandments that are written in scripture, but it actually takes you beyond that to situations where you don't have a command of God, and it actually gives life to your obedience to all of God's commands uh, as well. And it's to be inwardly transformed by knowing God according to his love for the unworthy, which is revealed at the cross and at the gospel, and letting that characterize your entire life, whether you're responding to a command of God or not. In other words, it's to walk by the Spirit. It's to walk by the Spirit. Uh, as as uh, Paul speaks of in other passages. And this way of walking was prophesied from long ago, even even uh, uh, from Paul's day. And so let me read you a, a few uh, prophecies uh, that speaks of this. Jeremiah chapter 31 and uh, verse 33 and 34. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And on their heart, I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, as if 
They're talking, instructing somebody about a stranger, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Or uh, similarly, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and uh, 27. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And so what can melt the heart into a stony heart, into a soft heart of flesh that corresponds to the law, whether it's responding to a direct command or not, it corresponds to the whole spirit of the law. It's only the gospel that can work that kind of uh, transformation. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, last one, um, says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Who's that? Well, that's Christ. He's the branch from the stem of uh, Jesse. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's the dove descending at the Lord's baptism. It's the last day's outpouring of uh, the Holy Spirit. And notice how this, and it's the same spirit that he poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost and rests on us now. Notice what kind of spirit it is. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit's able to respond to a situation appropriately, whether it has a command or not. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and uh, the fear of the Lord. And so it's a spirit uh, of wisdom that comes from a soft heart, a heart, heart that's been transformed uh, inwardly by uh, uh, the Lord. And so the, even the prophets spoke of a time when the, the spirit would provide direction and also the motivation uh, to do what honors the Lord from uh, the heart. And it's done in Christ. It's only done in Christ. It's done in a, in a heart that rests in Christ, rest in his character towards us as it's shown in Christ, the character of love towards the unworthy, and then walks in a way that matches him and has the wisdom uh, to do that in every situation. That's what Paul is, uh, that's what Paul prays for, for the Colossians. That's what was missing when they tried to live the Christian life without Christ at the very center and suddenly, probably without them realizing it, Christ is nowhere to be found in their um, living of, of uh, the Christian life. And so Paul uh, prays that Christ might be restored and done in this way, that they may walk according to God's will and have insight uh, to walk in a way that matches the character of the Lord. Well, that's as far as we got last time in, uh, or a summary of as far as we got last time. This is a two-part message on this uh, passage. We got to what Paul prays for. He prays that they'd be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they might walk in a manner matching, corresponding, suitable to the Lord and his uh, character. There are three activities that that accompany someone who knows the will of God and is walking in the will of God uh, step by step. Three activities, and uh, Paul tacks those on to his prayer uh, for them, and that's the rest of this passage. That's what we're going to look at um, this, this morning. Three accompanying activities to knowing what God wants you to do and doing it, which he prays for. And that's helpful because it tells you what to expect. If you find the will of God for a specific situation, and if you do it, you should expect these three activities to go with it. So uh, if you find what you're supposed to be doing right after church, 
you should expect these three activities to uh, accompany it. If you are filled with the knowledge of his will and you walk in a way that matches the Lord, these three activities will accompany. And that's why Paul bundled them together when he prayed uh, for this for uh, the Colossians. And the first accompanying activity that you should expect is fruit bearing and growth, fruit bearing and growth. And that's in verse uh, 10. That's where we're picking up so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And here's the first accompanying activity, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now you might say to me, now, wait a minute. That's not one activity. That's two. That's two. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so instead of having a three-point outline, three accompanying activities, we should make four because this is obviously two uh, accompanying activities. Well, Paul connects these two things, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He connects them very closely. He connects them very closely with the word and. Um, connecting them in that uh, way. Well, all three of the activities are connected. Obviously, they're all accompanying activities um, when one is filled with the will of God and uh, walking in it. So all three of them are connected. But these, are, these two activities are especially connected, so much so that Paul uh, speaks of them in uh, one breath. And so bearing fruit is involved in growing. And growing is involved in bearing fruit. And so Paul mentions them together. We're just going to take them as one. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you find the will of God specifically for what you ought to be doing, and if you start walking in it step by step, this is the activity that you should expect to be happening. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What are those things? What is fruit bearing and what is growing? Well, interesting, they're both from the life of a tree. They're both pictures. They're both metaphors. And trees do both of those. They grow and they also uh, bear fruit. And so this is what Paul prays for um, believers uh, as well. For Even for a tree, growing and bearing fruit are not quite the same thing. Not quite the same thing, although they go together. When a tree grows, if it's a if it's a fruit tree, um, it grows and then eventually it uh, bears fruit um, as well. But there's a difference between the two, although they're very closely related. Fruit bearing is outward. Growth is inward, or maybe a, a different way of, of putting it. When when a, a tree bears fruit, it's putting its energy towards something that benefits others. When you pick the fruit uh, from it, but when it it develops its resources towards growth. Uh, it's, it's benefiting itself. It's growing up into itself. Growth is cumulative. It builds on itself. Um, fruit bearing is discrete. You know, each, each fruit is its own thing, uh, for the, for the person who, uh, benefits, uh, uh, from it. And so Paul prays, uh, for both the outward life, the life that benefits others, which he speaks of as bearing fruit in every good work, and then the inward life, and it's where the, the fruit bearing comes from. It's from increasing, from growing in the knowledge of God, growing in his character. That's what causes you to uh, bear fruit. What, is, what does Paul mean by bearing fruit? And uh, the Bible uses this a number of times in, 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 in slightly different ways. 
Sometimes Paul speaks of bearing fruit as evangelism. He does that when he talks about um, his mission, especially speaks of his converts sometimes as uh, fruit of his um, ministry. He does that especially in uh, the epistle of Romans. Sometimes it's actions. It's actions that come from a Christian. In fact, that's, that's what it is here. Bearing fruit in every good work. It's an action. And sometimes it's attitudes. And that's probably maybe the first verse that you think of in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. So sometimes it's an, uh, an attitude is, uh, the, is the fruit. But even the most inward of those, the attitudes, is generally oriented towards others. And so the fruit of the Spirit, even as listed in Galatians, is things like love. That's what we, as the Spirit's life is manifest in us, it's, it's directed uh, towards others, uh, such as uh, uh, love. Well, if you grow in bearing fruit, and here these are actions that give to others, that express this, the same uh, character as the character of Christ um, himself, it's going to be because you know God's character and because you're growing in knowing God's character, and especially as it's revealed to you in the gospel of Christ. That's how God wants you to know him. That's how God has chosen to be known. God does not want to be known by you or by anyone, really, as in a view from nowhere. God doesn't want to be known as a specimen to be studied the way a scientist might study some other uh, creature. God did not save you in order that you might know him in that way. God always wants to be known by you as a helpless, desperate sinner being changed, being transformed by grace in Christ. He wants you to know his character in no other way than that. He wants you to invite others to know his character in no other way than uh, that. So we're to bear fruit doing works that please God in a given situation and knowing what that is and walking in it as we increase in knowing God's character. And as especially as it's revealed to us in the gospel, you know him in a saving way the day you're saved and you grow in knowing him in that way as you grow in him and uh, bear fruit. And uh, the bearing fruit and the growth is involved in, each is involved in the other. So you know him better by bearing fruit. You bear fruit uh, and uh, and know him better um, as well. But there's a relation between, and I think this is why Paul bundles these together so uh, closely. There's a relation between how you treat others and how you believe God treats you. And that's why growth in God's character uh, towards you is what uh, causes us to bear fruit that's in keeping with that uh, character. A life characterized by giving to those who are not worthy of what you're giving them. And that's the Christian life. That's the life of discipleship. Uh, is only lived by someone who's receiving love from God as the most unworthy. And that's what it is to know God's character. And especially as it's revealed in uh, the gospel. So uh, the fruit is of the same kind as the growth. It's growth in uh, knowledge of God's character. And the fruit is uh, fruit that manifests that very same uh, character. Well, three activities that accompany being filled with the knowledge of God's will and walking in it. The first is fruit bearing and growth in knowing God's character together. 
The second activity you should expect if you start knowing God's will more and more and start walking in it more and more is divine empowerment. And that's what Paul prays for next in verse 11. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. This uh, prayer request, this activity that Paul accompanies his prayer with, that the the, um, Colossians know God's will and uh, walk in it, tells you a couple of things about knowing God's will and walking in it. One is it's not going to be easy or smooth. It's going to require all steadfastness and uh, patience. The second is uh, you're not going to be able to do it without divine enabling. You're not sufficient to do this yourself, and you need to know that. That's why Paul prays for this divine uh, enabling and um, tells them that he's praying for this divine enabling uh, as well. So he prays that they be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. All steadfastness and uh, patience is going to be required for living in this way. Paul uses two terms here, and he's not just repeating himself. They're slightly different. Um, Endurance is the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. Patience is similar, but patience is a state of calm without complaint in the face of being provoked or irritated. And so it's usually not so much directed at um, circumstances, but it's directed towards people. Uh, and so this is what Paul, uh, the kind of strength that from God that we need for carrying out his will is a strength with his power, according to his glorious uh, might for the attaining of all steadfastness and also all uh, patience. The uh, Paul uses the word all here. He used it, um, he's already used it in uh, verse 10 that we're to bear fruit in every good work, good work of uh, every kind. And in order to do this, we have to be strengthened with all power, all power. It's going to take all of God's power for us uh, to do this for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, all kinds of endurance and also uh, patience directed towards uh, others. Well, he says, strengthen with all power. According to his glorious might, or it literally says, according to the power of his glory. And you might just want to skip over that quickly and say, well, yes, what Paul's praying for requires God's power. And he's associating that with God's glory. God's glory is certainly his transcendent power as God or a manifestation of his power. It's like a radiant energy coming from God, like the light comes from the sun. It's like an energy uh, coming from him, and that uh, will be uh, is needed for what Paul is uh, praying for. But I want you to notice that the power that Paul is praying for is not just a shapeless power to say, "Well, I'm doing something hard, and I feel stronger to do it, and I don't know exactly why. It must be because God's uh, uh, empowering me according to His glorious might." Um, it's not just power. God's glory, it is power, but it's the power of manifesting his character. It's the power of manifesting his particular character. And I'm thinking especially of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John talks about an hour coming 
for Christ. He's always talking about his hour. In fact, most of the time he's saying that his hour hasn't arrived yet. It's the hour of darkness to prevail uh, over him. But uh, when it finally comes, right before it comes, he starts praying about that hour. And he starts praying about it as the hour of his glory, as the hour of his glory. He says, Father, the time has come for you to glorify me. And in glorifying me, to glorify yourself. And uh, his glory is to display his character clearly, which is displayed on the cross as an act of love. And so God's glory is manifest through showing his character, which is a character of love towards the unworthy. So it's transcendent power, yes. It's transcendent power to give to the unworthy. And so when you experience this power according to his glory, uh, you don't say, well, I just feel stronger, and I don't know why. You say, I feel stronger because I know God's character. I know who he is. I know what it is his glory uh, to do, and so I feel empowered to do the same thing. I know God is empowering me to do the same thing as well. And so Paul prays that uh, as we're carrying out God's will, knowing how to do it in certain situations, being motivated to do it in certain situations that would be strengthened with all power according to the might of his glory. And there's a specific meaning to that. There's a specific content to the glory of his character, and it's the glory of self-giving love at its deepest uh, level. And so that's what's to be manifest in our lifetime as well, though it involves exercising all steadfastness and patience, which is empowered by God um, as well. Well, three activities that accompany being filled with the knowledge of God's will and walking in it step by step. The first is fruit bearing and growth, as those two relate to each other. Second is divine empowerment, according to God's glory and his character. And the third, it's an important one. In fact, Paul dwells on it the longest. It's this. It's joyful thanksgiving. Joyful thanksgiving. If you find the will of the Lord and you start walking in it, you're going to be thanking the Lord. You're going to be involved in joyful thanksgiving. And that's what you should expect. And so that's why Paul uh, prays for it. So uh, as he as he prays for uh, the Colossians to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit, increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, he says this in verse 12, joyously giving thanks to the Father. Joyously giving thanks to the Father. Now, let me point out a couple of things before I talk about this. First of all, Paul is not describing his own attitude as he prays for them although he could, uh, it would fit that um, as well. But uh, the grammar makes it very clear, very clear, that uh, this is what Paul is praying for the Colossians. He's praying that they would be strengthened with all power and that they would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father as an answer to Paul's um, prayer. A second thing to point out, I've included the last um, word of verse 11 with verse 12. And so is my translator. They put a comma um, in front of the word joyously. So you read together, joyously giving thanks to the Father. Not all translations do that. Um, you may be reading one that uh, connects um, the joyful part here to the steadfastness and patience for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience with joy. I think it makes better sense with uh, what follows it rather than what precedes it. So it's joyously giving thanks to uh, the Father. If so, if so, then it's stated with emphasis. 
the joyful part is put up front, even before the action, giving thanks to give it emphasis. This is not just giving thanks to the Father. That's not just what Paul's praying for the Colossians as they carry out the will, but that they be joyfully, that they be delighted to give thanks to uh, their Father uh, as well. And this is the third activity uh, that characterizes uh, a believer who's walking according to God's will from the heart. Thankful for what? Thankful, joyously thankful to the Father for what? Well, a believer who's carrying out the will of the Lord is joyously thankful for a million things. We can never run out of things to be thankful to, uh, to the Lord. But what Paul describes here as he talks about joyously giving thanks to the Father is the character of the Father, is the character of the Father. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who? Who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light? And so these are certainly things to be thankful for that he's done this, but it, it's, it's done to speak of the character of the one that we are thankful for. And so these acts that Paul uh, uh, mentions here of the father are ones that specifically put his character towards us on uh, display. And so the father is to be known according to what he's given us. In the gospel, and that's what Paul describes about the Father, which we'll get into in uh, just a moment. But I think this makes a big difference in how you're thankful and and how how joyfully you're thankful to the Father. And let, let me just give an example. You can be thankful for a lot of different things that don't speak of someone's disposition towards you. So, for example, you can have an interaction with a, a bureaucracy, and it turns out they treat you well, and you're thankful. For it. But you have no no illusion that uh, that speaks of a inward heart attitude towards them, towards you. You can go to the DMV, have a good experience at the DMV, and you're thankful for it. And you tell them that you're thankful for it, but that you know that they're basically more or less indifferent towards you, even though you had, did have a good experience and even though you really are uh, thankful. With the Father, when you're thankful for something, even something small, like good weather today or something like, like this, or health, that he's given you, or even uh, maybe a, a, a miraculous gift of health, one that you uh, can't explain. When you know the Father and you're joyously thankful for him uh, in this way, you can be sure that that act goes all the way back to his character, all the way back to the character of God and to his disposition towards you in Christ. And so you're not thankful to one who treated you well today, but he's indifferent towards you. No, you're thankful to one whose blessing that you're thankful for speaks of something even greater that's in his heart towards you, and it's put on display most of all in uh, the gospel itself. So Paul prays that the Colossians would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father, and this is his character. This is what kind of father he is, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's made us fit to share in an inheritance of saints in light. And what did he do to make us fit to receive that inheritance? Well, our basic need was for righteousness, a righteousness that we didn't have, and he gave it to us as a gift. And uh, we not only needed uh, that righteousness, we needed a, a capacity to appreciate him and to love him, and he gave us that as well. He gave us new life. He's fitted us. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light through no deserving 
uh, of our own, but it's given to us uh, as a gift. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's still speaking of the father here when it says he rescued us. And it's important that the father himself is a rescuer. You know, our salvation wasn't imposed upon the father at the last minute. Okay, I'll, I'll, uh, Christ has decided to die for these, so I'll uh, respond to that. No, the father himself is a rescuer. And when you give thanks to him, you give thanks to him in his character as being uh, a rescuer. He rescued us from the domain. And the word, the, the word that's used there is the word authority, from the authority of darkness. You know, darkness has an authority to it. That's why you can't get away from it. Uh, sin is a slavery and, and, uh, the, the darkness itself, the power of Satan has an authority, uh, that, that can only be broken by Christ. What Paul says here is something, uh, similar to what he said in Acts. I think this is before Herod Agrippa, Acts chapter 26 and verse uh, 18, when Paul was telling him about his, uh, initial, uh, calling. It was Acts 26, 18. The Lord said to him to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the same word authority of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And so uh, Paul knew from the beginning that his ministry was to uh, be involved in the rescue of those from darkness into light and from the authority of Satan, where they're under his uh, dominion, to the authority of God uh, as well. And so he speaks of that uh, here, when it talks about the Father that we're to be thankful for, he rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The Father has a kingdom. It's the kingdom of the son of his love. And that's uh, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Um, it's not simply the exercise of the Father's authority that he has by creation, this kingdom, this is uh, a authority that he has because of the cross, because of the cross of uh, Christ. And it's a kingdom of love, a kingdom of love of a certain kind, love for the most unworthy. That kind of love built this kingdom from the very beginning. It was This kingdom was acquired by that kind of love. And that's why it's, it's the kind of kingdom that can not only punish people, uh, which God had by uh, creation, but can rescue people from the domain of darkness and expunge away all of their uh, sins and transfer them out of that kind of authority into a new kingdom, a new authority, and it's the authority of love, the same kind of love that built this kingdom and uh, characterizes it from top to uh, bottom. And so the kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of love. And it's found uh, only in Christ. And to, that's what, why to walk according to the Lord, that's what Paul's praying for in the first place, is to walk according to this uh, love. So he rescued us. Here's the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom, his Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And uh, now Paul's speaking of the Son, and that's gonna, he's actually going to transition even to the next passage, which we'll look at where he speaks of the centrality of the Son in all things, in this great and memorable hymn that he gives uh, that speaks of the centrality of uh, Christ. But the final blessing that he gives that's found in Christ is in many ways the most uh, astonishing feature of this list. It's forgiveness of sins. 
It's forgiveness of sins that's found in Christ. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom, his beloved son, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And uh, in many ways, the most astonishing blessing that the Lord gives us from the heart is simply the forgiveness of our sins. Expunging our sins in such a way that registers in our conscience that we know about and frees us to love God and to love others in the same way that he uh, loves us. So that's the uh, third um, activity. It's joyfully giving thanks to the Father, to this Father, to the Father whose character is uh, to love us in, uh, this, in this way. So let me ask you this question. Are you filled with the knowledge of God's will for what you should be doing in each uh, uh, situation? And are you walking in such a way that's matching the Lord's love uh, for you? That's what that wisdom is uh, for. Uh, if Paul's prayer for you is answered, if my prayer for you, my prayer for this church is answered, if your prayer for yourself, you should be praying this for yourself, is answered, or the Holy Spirit's prayer for you when you don't know how to pray is answered, then you will be. You will be walking uh, according to uh, the Lord, and you'll be filled with the knowledge of how to do it, not for way down the road, but for step uh, by step. And if you're in Christ, his prayer will be answered. The Holy Spirit's prayer will be answered as well. But if the Lord's prayer is answered in this, if his prayer is answered even right after church to direct you to what you should uh, be doing, then these activities are what you should expect to be yours and increasing so that they become part of your character. Fruit-bearing for others and growing in the knowledge of the Lord and those two things uh, being bound up together in each other, growing in God's character so that you can do many acts, all acts of, uh, of um, manifesting that character towards others. Divine empowerment, divine empowerment to help you endure when it's difficult or to be patient towards others when uh, manifesting this character towards them is a difficult thing to do. And then finally, joyful thanksgiving. Joyful thanksgiving has to be a part of it because you're not going to treat others this way unless you're joyfully thankful that the Lord is treating you this way uh, as well. So uh, in order to carry out the Lord's will, to put all this together, you have to have a sense that you have a precious gift from God. Many precious gifts from God, but the most important one is this, that the God of the universe has given himself to you as a rescuer, has given his son to you, uh, and given his son whom he loves and given you the same love, called you into a kingdom of that love uh, as well, and that all other blessings that the Lord fills your life with are an echo of that one in his heart uh, towards uh, you. So you have to be convinced by faith that God has given you a precious gift through the gospel of himself in order that you might give it back to him by giving yourself to others. It doesn't mean that it will be easy. It doesn't mean that you'll know uh, 10 steps ahead how you're supposed uh, to do this, but it means that by pursuing those things that you'll be able to find uh, now what the Lord would have you to do to manifest that character and give you the reason and the motivation to walk in it as well. Let's pray. Dear Father, we do make this the same prayer as ours for the church uh, and for ourselves uh, as well. We pray that we would be increasingly filled, not by our own will, uh, 
of what we would like to do and what we would like to carry out, but by your will, by your will and uh, the wisdom and knowledge given by the Spirit to understand how to do what you would have us to do in each and every uh, situation that uh, you have uh, given us. We pray that because of this, we would actually walk in a way that matches your character towards us as shown in the gospel in a way that matches the Lord so that growth and uh, fruit bearing and being empowered by something beyond ourselves, by you, by your character and joyful thanksgiving for you, our father and for your character would increasingly characterize our lives. We make this our prayer. We ask you to answer it in Jesus name. Amen.